I did put on the, uh, if you uh, notice coming in, I did create a little handout thing for you. Um, if you grabbed one of those, great. If you didn't, you can pick one up at the end of the service. But I did, uh, last week, I made all of you get one because we passed them out. This week, I didn't do that. They're in the lobby as you're coming in. It's a yellow sheet of paper. Uh, on it has what we're going to be looking at today, uh, just to give you an opportunity to follow along. And the back side is just a place for you to take your own notes, uh, put your grocery list there, whatever you got to keep your No, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be focused. There's some... Uh, Passages of scripture we're not going to cover today, but on your own, if you'd like to do some more studying, those uh, references on that back page are dealing with the topic we're talking about today, which is, again, this larger series of diving into the deep end of still call to holiness. We talked about God's holiness last week and how that, his holiness, that characteristic, that trait ties all the others together. Remember, we use the patchwork quilt to say his love, his mercy, his grace, his justice, his righteousness, all of it is tied together with his holiness to make that one quilt. This diving into the deep end uh, was a challenge that God put on my heart that I believe I needed to give to us as Grace Church. Uh, because the expectation is, as we'll hear here in First Peter in this letter, is that we're all doing that. As a Christian, this is just what happens. God is this deep water that we can swim in. And if you remember all the way back to the first message, I used Leah as an example of goggles. And those goggles, she puts it on, and now she's actually swimming. Before that, she just had to keep her head above water. She had to stay in a shallow end. And now she's actually experiencing what swimming's all about. Diving in in the deep end, swimming with everybody else, going off diving boards, going out in the ocean. That's what God's calling us to. That's the relationship he invites us into, but sometimes there's something that holds us back from diving into that deep end. And now we're focusing on holiness last Sunday and this Sunday because it ties very deeply into growing as a follower of Jesus. We learned, maybe you learned this word for the first time a couple Sundays ago. I just realized I didn't put it on any of my little note sheets. So next Sunday, we're going to have the word sanctification and the definition of it, because that's what we've been talking about. John 17, Jesus prays to God before he goes to the cross, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Of course, we're not talking about the Bible there. We're talking about Jesus, the expression. The word became flesh, John 1. That's what Jesus prayed for us. So we need to know how we do that. One of the ways we do that is by growing in holiness. And I entitled this, Still Called to Holiness, because we looked at an Old Testament passage, be holy, God says to Israel, for I am holy. And Peter says the exact same thing to a bunch of New Testament Christians. He's writing a letter to a bunch of Christians living in a pagan society. We actually went through the entire letter of 1 Peter a couple of years ago and kind of discovered what was going on there in their culture at that time in a pagan society. And so he's calling this group of Christians very far removed from the Old Testament time in Leviticus, and he's using the exact same phrase. Now, I think that's important for us to understand, and it is an important part of diving into the deep end. Because oftentimes what I find is 
There's something that keeps us from doing that. And in many cases, it's a life thing, a behavior thing. It's a moral thing. As you start asking questions, I've discovered this in just doing ministry uh, for not just 10 years as pastor here at Grace Church, but even before that, when I was involved in ministry at the church Jess and I grew up in and doing youth ministry, and I was on the outreach commission, and I served as the vice president of our ministry council. And I found the more I asked questions, the less it was really an intellectual argument against God. Oftentimes, when you kind of unpacked it all, it was a moral argument. It was, I really don't feel like changing my life. I like this, and I don't want to give it up. As I've listened to various podcasts, I'm sure you guys do the same thing. One of the podcasts, or two of them I listen to, they're, they're always on college campuses, and they do uh, debates on a college campus, and they fill an arena or an auditorium, and they give question and answer, and a lot of times they'll start with, well, I can't believe, how do I know God exists? They'll start there, and then as you keep asking questions, you find out, well, I just kind of don't want to give this up in my life. We're going to come back to this question, because this idea of still called to be holy, you're still called to holiness, is going to come into play with answering this question. What's stopping you from diving into the deep end? So today, Peter is going to say, as followers of Jesus, um, we ought to resemble our family, our, our father. Leviticus says, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So you, Israel, are going to show the rest of the world who I am. And here's how you're going to do that. You've got to read Leviticus. You've got to read uh, Numbers. You've got to read Deuteronomy. This way, your way of life, how you do things. Remember, we talked about even the stuff they ate, basic meals, was going to show the whole world who God was. And they would begin to understand who this God is that they serve by the way they lived. Family resemblance. He's gonna, they're going to start looking like their father. I mean, we say this all the time. Not, this isn't just physical appearance. Well, you look like your dad. You look like your mom. Obviously, you, you came from that family. But this often is referred to as certain traits or characteristics that you have. Well, you, you do that just like your dad did. Or you do that just like your grandmother did. Or you do that. Your mom does the exact same thing, and you do that same thing. Sometimes it's not used in a nice way. Oh, you're just like your dad. Maybe you've heard that before if you were married. But this is a good thing. We should be just like our dad. And, and Peter's going to use that language because what we don't realize is our or family origin has a very big impact on how we live. We don't even know it. It just happens. Patterns of behavior. We just learn it by watching. That's just how it works. This is why God makes a big deal about husband and wife getting together and because they're together and they have children because those children are going to learn everything from watching you. And what we don't realize is how important that is because if you didn't have that growing up, you've come into maybe a relationship that you've realized, wow, there's a lot I didn't realize growing up. Wow, there's a lot of things I didn't know. I just thought this was normal. It's not normal. Because we ne either never saw it or we saw it done poorly. And whether we realize it or not, our behavior, the things that we do, our traits, our characteristics, 
begin to resemble our families. That's just how it works. So Peter says, well, as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters, we sang about that, who you say I am, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to resemble our family. Well, what does that look like? Well, apparently, it's called to be holy. Our family resemblance shows the world what holiness looks like. And that's kind of a daunting thing when you think about our lives, because we talked about how holy God was, and just thinking about it shows us how unholy we are. But apparently, Jesus is praying to God to sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart. Peter is saying to this group of Christians that he's writing this letter to, to be holy. This is how he says it. Therefore, this is chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 13 through 16, but touch on things surrounding verse 13 through 16. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, your mind is a big part of that, as we'll see, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you, when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming, he's pointing to the reality that Jesus is coming again. That's what we're all waiting for, the second coming of Christ. He is pointing to that reality. As obedient children, here he's using that language of family, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You used to look like this family. You know the pagan society that you're, you're growing up in? You resembled that family. But as obedient children, don't conform to those evil desires anymore. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy in all you do. Think about God's holiness as we talked about last week. If you don't remember, watch that. It's on YouTube. You can check it out or get the note sheet. In all you do. Oh, you mean just when I'm with a bunch of other Christians, I should act holy. Peter says, in all you do, be holy. And what is he basing this on? Well, he just so happens to be quoting the exact thing we read last week. For it is written, where? Leviticus. Be holy because I am holy. God is calling us to resemble him because this is exactly who he is. And because we're part of his family, that's who we're supposed to be. There should be some family resemblance within God's family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, resembling and imaging God to the very world around us. That's what he was telling Israel to do. It didn't change when we started the New Testament. Peter is saying the exact same thing to a bunch of Christians, just like you and me, living in a pagan society. And every day it's growing more pagan and pagan the more... We are living in the United States of America. So Peter begins verse 13 with therefore. Because of something I just said, that's chapter 1, verse 1 through 12, you should do exactly what I'm telling you in verse 13 through 16. So here's what I didn't read for you. This is the therefore. Again, it's kind of focused on, if you remember our little half sheet, the justification, sanctification piece. Therefore, since God in 1 through 5, I just took that straight out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 12. Because God has shown us his great mercy, because God has given us this new birth, we were all born into a family, but when we become Christians, 
We are born again. We're given a new birth into a new family. And maybe the family we're born into, and we resemble that family, and, you know, every town has their family that they don't, oh, that, you know that family? Oh, boy. If you came from that family, there were certain things about you that kind of signified to the rest of the community. Well, the same is true when you're born into a new family. It says in verse 1 through 12, he's given you a new birth to a living hope. It can't ever end. It's eternal. There's nothing that can stop it from happening. Not even the governments who make it illegal, not even those who put you in prison, not even if you die, can they take this hope from you. Because it's something that is given to you, not because of something you did, but because of God's mercy, grace, and goodness. He just gives it. And now you are inheritor of a kingdom. And he stores it for you in heaven. And Peter says it can't perish, fade, or spoil. God himself guards it for you. So as you face many trials, which he talks about in verse 1 through 12, it'll prove the genuineness of your faith that this is the real deal. Because as a child of God's, my life is going to reflect his. That is the expectation. That's what Peter is saying here. Because all of this is true of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We choose to live and behave and do the things that we do because we actually believe that's going to happen. We believe Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom. All the stuff we read about about his kingdom, all the wonderful things we hear about, it's going to happen. That's what we believe, that this is actually true. And one day, we're going to have to give an account for our life. God will judge us for the way we've lived. That's what we're looking forward to. That Jesus is going to return. And everything I'm doing, the, the trials I'm facing, the struggles I'm going through, the difficulties I got to do simply because I named the name of Christ, it's all worth it. Because Jesus will return and fulfill the promises that he has made. That's what we're looking for. That's why we're choosing to live the way that we live, because it matters. It actually matters for all of eternity. So Peter continues, as obedient children, you know, everybody is given life by God. It's your breath in our lungs. We just sung that. Whether you love God, you hate God, you believe in God, you don't think God exists, the breath in your lungs is given to you by God Almighty. That's what we believe. All humanity bears the image of God. Our worth and our value come because God created male and female in his image. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. As Christians, we believe this is true. You are created by God. That is different than what Peter's talking about here. You are a child of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so you are not considered a son or daughter of the king unless you've put your faith in the finished work of Christ. Peter is talking to a group of people that say they have done that. And if that is true of you, then your life ought to reflect and have some family resemblance to God. 
And we know scripture tells us that the greatest expression, the fullest expression, the clearest expression of who this God is was given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus in his life, in his teaching, made known to us the will, the nature, the character of God. And so Peter is saying, your life and my life, as obedient children, our desire is to do the will of God, is to be transformed by God, is to not conform to the evil desires that I once had. That is all around you in this pagan society. He's writing to a group of Christians. He might as well be writing this to us. As obedient children, my desire is to be holy as God is holy. That's what Peter's expecting us to say as sons and daughters of God and not to conform to those desires I once had that actually separated me from God. That sin that was in my life that separated me from God. He's basing this on just as he who called you is holy because God is holy. He's giving this command. It's not like Hey, if you feel like it, maybe you should, you know, not lie to someone today. If we look at the Ten Commandments, you know, we've talked about that in here before. You've probably heard it in some sermon or podcast before. It's not the Ten Suggestions. Hey, I got ten wonderful suggestions for you, Moses. Follow them, don't follow them, I don't really care. So be holy in all you do, because God is holy. That's the command. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not, if it's easy, do that. If, you know, you're in church, do that. But when you leave, who cares? If things get tough and difficult and confusing in the society you live in, then, you know, if you got to conform and compromise and all that, okay. That doesn't seem to be what Peter is talking about here because how's the world going to know who God is, his nature in character, if the people that are called by his name don't live out who this God is. The language that scripture uses is called, calls the church the body of Christ. Jesus is physically not present here. We, the disciples saw him go. Lots of eyewitnesses saw him go. His presence indwells his church. If we are saying we are brothers and sisters to Jesus... There ought to be some family resemblance. And part of that is be holy because I am holy. God is basing all of this on himself. This is the standard. We all need one. Well, what's your standard of goodness? If you ask them, well, I'm a pretty good person. And whose standard are you using to describe how good of a person you actually are? Well, I'm not like, you know, Hitler. He's always the one that we compare ourselves to. Well, what is the standard? God says that standard is himself. His character, who he is, is the basis for all human morality and ethics. That's ethical living, the way we live our lives. If you've seen The Office, you can sing the song, Let's Get Ethical. Where's Ashley? Is she over there? I don't see her. She knows that song. It's how we live. How we choose to live our lives even when we're faced with a difficult situation. Even when there's nobody watching us. Sometimes we call that integrity. 
how you behave at work when no one sees it, how you are at home when no one sees it. The basis for doing good, for living holy lives, is based upon the fact that this is who God is. The standard is God. That's it. That's what Scripture is telling us. And His command to call us to be holy, He is doing because we are called His children. That's what Peter says. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires of this world. Paul says it a little bit differently in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed into the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. We're going to talk about what that means, what Peter's talking about here with those desires and how we think that be sober mind, be of sober mind. This isn't a suggestion for us. This is something that, as I said, in the American church, it seems like we're losing a little bit of this concept. Or we're, we're willing to compromise so much. And before you know, we just start looking exactly like the world does. Oh, it's not a big deal. But we're still called to holiness. Just as he did to Israel, God's doing in our lives today. If you translate verse 15 a little bit more literally... It'd be, be holy in your whole lifestyle. The, re the version I read for you from the NIV says, but just as he, call he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. This is a lifestyle. This is who you are when you're not here. If I followed you around with a video camera, not a snapshot, if you just take a snapshot of Ted's life, you could pull that up and show, and look at this, here's a picture of Ted, some holy guy he is. But what happens when you follow Ted around for the week, for a couple of weeks, maybe for a month? What is his life? What is his lifestyle? What does it look like? Does he bear the family resemblance of his father, of his brother, of the Jesus he's given his life to? That's what Peter's talking about here. It's not moral perfection. It's a lifestyle that you are trying to pattern off of the one we've witnessed in the person of Jesus Christ and the one who God has given us an example of. His character we see throughout all of Scripture. That same thread that weaves all of his attributes together, holiness is the one that should be reaving our lives. Sanctification, as he sets us apart for himself, that's what he's doing, making us holy. Peter says that in these three verses, 13 through 16, there's two things I want to point out to us that, okay, if God is holy, he, if he is this way, how do I be holy? How can I be holy? I'm a fallen, broken, messed up human being. Yep, me too. Join the club. So how does he do that in our life? And this is that diving into the deep end peace. This is the sanctification process, the growing in holiness, the setting us apart. The family resemblance that our life should look like. It has to do with our mind thinking differently. Don't be conformed to the evil desires that are all around you, Peter says to this group of Christians. Well, they're all here too. Those desires, they start up here. And how we think about things. What does our thought life look like? How are we patterning our thoughts because that's going to 
kind of tell us what our values are. And the way that if I followed you around with a video camera, if you followed me around the video camera, I could tell by following your life around what is important to you. That's what you discover. Your kids, when they're growing up, they discover what's important to mommy and daddy as they grow up. They learn it. You don't even have to tell them. They just watch. The things that you do shows them what's important to you. And these two things inform all of our life. This is the lifestyle piece Peter was talking about. Our behaviors are informed by the way we think and our values. If you remember another sermon series we did, we called it a Christian worldview. Our perspective on life. How we process and filter all the information we get. How we decide what I'm going to say in this situation where I'm in a fight with my spouse. When my boss treats me like garbage at work. When that person just cut me off. When that person's my enemy. This is all that's informing you. And it comes out in our behavior. That's the video camera following your life around. I could tell you, you could tell from Ted's life what he values, what's important to him, what he prioritizes, what his desire is by following me around. Peter says this is a big part of not conforming to the evil desires of the world, but living as obedient children, growing in holiness. Again, this is the aspect of sanctification that is happening in each one of us. Different rates, different forms of growth. If, if I dropped an ac 10 different acorns in the yard, all of them would grow at different rates. I don't know why, it just is. Depending on the soil that it's in, depending on this one gets a little higher, now it's blocking the sun and this one can't get as high, it's going to grow, but they're all going to grow because that's what they're supposed to do. Well, Peter's saying that's true of us as well. Two things I want to address here with this call to be holy. And an issue that I see in the United States of America that we're dealing with in ministry as I participate in denominational leadership, as I am part of the Pastoral Assessment Center and deal with people who sense a call to ministry, as I read lots and lots of things, as I listen to lots and lots of podcasts about this issue that is prevalent in the United States of America, and the issue I'm talking about is pornography. We have a big problem with pornography in our culture in the United States of America. And I'm not sure who thought this was um, a holy thing or not a big deal, but it is a big deal. You want to talk about something that's unholy? Pornography is that. I just read an article this past week talking about the lower, lower age of people being exposed to it, children being exposed to pornography. The amount of young men specifically as they come into Pastoral Assessment Center that write down on their application struggles with an addiction to pornography. I mean, I didn't count recently. It's got to be 8 out of 10. 7 out of 10, for sure, of young men who confess that, that they're struggling with that, because it is an addiction. The same way that we deal with alcoholism, the same that we deal with drug addicts, you can't beat this addiction by yourself. 
Alcoholics can't. Drug addicts can't. If they could, they would have done it already. Pornography is the same thing. And these are young men coming up in the church, called into pastoral ministry, who are dealing with it. So as the pastor of the church, and what I believe the scriptures teach us, pornography is sin. It is unholy to watch it. And that's just the way it is. If you want to grow in holiness, then you can't be watching pornography. And if you think it's just something that happens to that pagan society all around us, it doesn't. And one of the best ways to beat it is to confess it. That's happened to somebody, a couple of people that I know that have come to me and have said, hey, I struggle with this. Since they've confessed it, and have I have encouraged them to confess it other places, they're getting victory over sin. Part of it is just saying it is a problem. It is a problem in the church, and it is unholy. If you want to go deeper with God, if you want to dive into that deep end, pornography cannot come with you. It's one of those desires that conforms us to the evil of this world. And unfortunately, it's happening to 10-year-olds. And this article is talking about 8-year-olds. Imagine that 8-year-old kid watching, going online and looking up something for school and seeing it. When I knew I was going to be preaching this message, I knew I was going to need to address this issue because it is real and is preventing us as a church in the United States of America in growing in our holiness. And Peter is talking about our lifestyle. Because when you're by yourself, God still sees it. And Peter points to the fact that Jesus is coming. There is the second coming that we are looking to and we are going to stand before God. And we're going to give an account for our life. Now, I want to say to you, it is hard to beat that, as I've just shared, just like any addiction. And maybe you're ashamed of that because of what it is. But I want to encourage you at some other time, if, if I'm talking to you or somebody you know who's a Christian, just come talk to me. Because it's worth trying to beat it. It's sin that entangles your life and keeps you from experiencing what God has for you. There's a, an app that's called Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes is something that can go on your phone and I think your computer. And you have an accountability partner. And it will alert that partner, that person to say, hey, Ted's looking at something that he shouldn't be looking at. And you'll get that message. And it's a way to keep you accountable. I've had somebody here at Grace Church say, if someone comes to you, Ted, and says they're struggling with it, it is a subscription fee. They've said to me, I'll cover their first year. They will pay for it so that you can beat it. Because it's worth it. It's something that we struggle with in our culture. And even as I do pastoral assessment center, Application after application after application, Christian college, secular college, I struggle with pornography. 
If that's you, find a time to come and just talk to me. We'll sit in my office, we'll talk about it, we'll pray about it, and you can beat it. You know how I know you can? Because sanctification is the victory over sin. If I keep struggling with the sin and struggling with the sin, God can give you victory over it through the Spirit and through the body of Christ. The person I'm talking to confessed it to me. I told him he needed to talk to a couple other people in his life. He hasn't looked at it since. He's got victory over it. You can have it too. The other thing I want to just address is just integrity, our honesty. Sometimes, especially within our culture, we just think that this little white lie won't be a big deal. Well, I don't really have to tell my wife this, or I don't have to tell my husband this, or, you know, she's better off if she doesn't know this, or he's better off if he just doesn't hear this. We call, it, we, we call that, or scripture calls that, sins of omission. You know, it's not like you slap somebody across the face, but the thing you're keeping from them, they deserve to know that. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent. I, when I do premarital counseling, and I've had this conversation with people, spouses that have different bank accounts. I always ad advise one bank account. Everything's in one. You've just said what God has brought together, let no man separate. We need to operate that way. And I just advocate for that because I know some people and have had conversations where they have accounts their spouse doesn't know about. No, I don't call that spouse up and say, hey, did you know so-and-so has a bank account? I just say, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's good. And that's just one example. We don't think often about these sins of omission, the things we just, we don't say. But we let it go, we let it go, and that sin begins to harden us to some other things. And if we're not careful, the holiness in which we want to try and live our lives starts to disappear. And we start losing some of that victory over sin. I think this is a very serious thing. That's why I'm preaching about it. I think God is asking us to live and strive for righteousness. Not to be like we're somehow going to be this holy God like he is, but we're striving for something. Peter is telling us we're striving for something that matters because we're trying to live moral, upright lives. You know why? Because that's who God is. Be holy for I am holy. That's what he's telling us. Choosing to do the right thing. They were living in a culture that was compromising all over the place. And these folks that Peter's writing to, they're not getting tossed in jail. Their friends just aren't talking to them as much anymore. That place that they had in the marketplace, gone. You got to go outside. They began to be ostracized from their community. They started to feel pretty alone. That person you hung out with all the time doesn't want to talk to you anymore because of this stuff you're believing. It's kind of weird. You kind of believe some weird stuff. Oh, you're trying to live an upright life and moral things? Well, you're judging me for telling me this is wrong. And the phrases we use nowadays for that is, you do you. Have you heard that phrase? You do you. You are your own standard. Whatever you decide is right, that's okay. 
Or maybe you've heard someone say, well, well, that's my truth. You've got your truth. This is my truth. I got to live by my truth. Which basically means I can do whatever I want. We call it moral relativism. Anything goes now, as long as you think it's okay. And the church is slowly starting to conform to the pagan society instead of the holiness and righteousness of God. And it's happening in our culture, in American Christianity. You know why the issues with the LGBTQ plus stuff is happening in the church? Because we are compromising our morality and our holiness that God is calling us to. That's just it. We want to live a particular way. God says you got to live this way. I don't like that so much. And the phrase we use is, well, you're not very loving then. Yes, the things that God calls us to might look weird to the people we're rubbing shoulders with. Because living a holy life is not the most popular thing to do. Fighting that sin, those desires that start here, and valuing something over God, and then living a lifestyle that way, it's really hard to do when everybody around you tells you you're wrong. When, you, when everybody's swimming this way and you're swimming against the current, it's not easy to do. Peter goes on to talk about the importance of the church then. Why it's important that you gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because Christians, all of us, will set ourselves apart. Not because we're trying to, but just because we're living the way God's called us to live. We're starting to bear some family resemblance to this God who made us. This God who died for us. Christians will set themselves apart from the customs and values of their unbelieving society. And we're going to pattern our lives, our lifestyle. We're going to invite that person. Hey, get your video camera out. Or I guess nobody has those anymore. Get your phone out and just start following me around for a month. And you'll discover who I am. And even when, you know, no one's watching, I'm going to give you opportunity to take that video camera, that phone, and follow me around. And what you're going to find is, does Ted do it perfectly? No. You can ask Jess. She'll be honest. But he's starting to look more and more like this guy named Jesus that he seems to make a big deal about. And he's bearing some family resemblance to that. Peter goes on in chapter 2 to talk about why the church is important in doing that. Because if we're not careful living in this pagan society, which we are living in, you and I are living in this pagan society, and the church is starting to turn away from this holy living to something else and compromise and conform, and it's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. Oh, sex before marriage. Oh, that's just like your grandparents believed that was good, but who cares anymore? It doesn't matter. Compromise after compromise after compromise. Peter says in chapter 2, look like newborn babies, crave. This is the imperative. This is like you need to do this. It's not, hey, if you feel like it one day, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We're going to talk about that. What does that mean, grow up in your salvation? Something ought to be happening in our lives 
There's a progression taking place. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, the mercy, the grace, the, the new birth, the living hope, the inheritance that God's guarding for you, the salvation that you were promised, all those things he talked about in verse 1 through 12, to taste and see that the Lord is good. The expectation as a Christian that, Paul, that Peter is writing to this group of people in a pagan society is that they will grow. It's not like, hey, if you feel like, hey, the water's fine. If you feel like coming in, great. The expectation is that you will. But the issue is you're going to have to take that dive. I can't tell you how many people I'd love to push in the deep end. Lots of people. It just doesn't work. They start drowning. I just killed them. <laughs> that diving in the deep end is something only you can do. And I've found that what happens when people don't is they got this little thing back here. They just don't want to quite get rid of. And it stops them. You're missing out on what God has to offer. The other aspect of that, you're going to give an account for that before God one day too. Especially if we call ourselves sons and daughters of his. We will crave this. It's not like a have to. It's not an obligation. When we realize the goodness of God and what he has done for us, it's something we desire and crave. Our desires change. I now start desiring the things that God loves, and I start hating those things that I used to love, that sin that so easily brought me down and entangled me. And you'll find that it's getting easier and easier to kick that porn addiction. Because you start desiring the very things that God desires. But so many people stop at that water's edge and they don't dive in. Not because of some academic intellectual argument they have against God. Because there's something in their lifestyle. They just don't want to give up. Peter is saying, if you are a child of God, it's time to give that up. Because one, you are missing out on all that God has to offer. And that sin is going to entangle you and pull you away from him. You can have victory over it. That's what God is in the process of doing. Next week, we'll talk about and define again that sanctification. The expectation is that you will grow up in your salvation. Because you and I are showing the world, a very pagan society, who this God is. And we should start bearing a resemblance to our dad. To the Jesus who would give his own life for us. And not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind and living a life devoted and dedicated to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promises that you give to us in your word that we can have victory over the sin that so often we find ourselves all around us in this world that we live in. But God, you are calling us to be holy as you are holy.
Lord, this morning as we've talked about holiness and, and how we can do that in our own lives, God, I pray that we would think about that person who is following us around with that camera and what would they see in a, in a month, a couple months time, Lord? What would show that person what we value most in our life? What would they see about our lifestyle and behavior? What would it reveal about the desires of our heart? God, if there's something that is keeping us from jumping in this deep end, I, I pray that you, Lord, would reveal it. God, I pray that you would uproot it. I pray, God, that we would confess it and that we would find victory over it. God, you are calling us into this deep end so that we might experience all you have to offer, God. Your goodness is shown to us through this diving into the deep end, Lord God. I pray that the sin in our lives, these desires that we have would not hold us back, Lord, but that we might experience, maybe for the first time, your goodness by diving into that deep end. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.